So you may have heard of the massive Marriott hack, where up to 500 million Marriott guests had their information compromised by hackers. It turns out it's a lot worse than you thought. The information was probably stolen by China, and there are lots of nefarious purposes to which they could put their ill-gotten knowledge. Hi, I'm Zach Beecham, and this is the Worldly Podcast on the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm here, as always, with Jen Williams. Hi. Alex Ward is out of town in Japan, where he is go-karting around the streets dressed as Spider-Man, also reporting, but mostly go-karting. You can do reporting and go-karting at the same time, it turns out. But in Alex's absence, we're going to discuss the Marriott hack anyway. So, Jen, what was the sort of basic gist of what happened? Okay, so there was this massive cyber attack on the Marriott hotel chain. So not just Marriott, but other Marriott-owned properties, hotels you've probably stayed at. All these properties uh, had their information databases hacked. And so the hackers got all kinds of information on as many as 500 million guests. So we're talking things like credit card numbers, passport information, like passport numbers, things you have to fill out on forms when you book a hotel room, dates of stay, like travel patterns, things like that. Yeah, that one really freaks me out. And they're associated, right? So they know not only what your name is, but also the dates at which you were at the Marriott at that particular point. Right, like you went to this city on this date. And oh, look, you do that every year. But this was this big hack that was in the news, right? And we didn't quite know who was behind it. Uh, It's just kind of been percolating, people kind of talking about it. And then... This New York Times piece came out on December 11th that basically tied that to a whole bunch of other hacks. So this hack of American healthcare information. So nowadays, a lot of your healthcare stuff, like your insurance information and like insurance claims and doctor's visits and bills, all kinds of stuff is all digitized, right? We fill out forms, they go into the computer. So that's the information, like these big databases that have really personal, you know, health history and medical history information. So that was hacked. And then there was this other one back in 2014 that was massive, which was the records of security clearance information. So security clearance files of millions of Americans in this Office of Personnel Management database. It's OPM. It's basically like the HR department for the U.S. government. So massive database of files on Americans who have security clearances. All right. So you have these three hacks. It seems like they're all done by the same group. And that group is? China. Uh, hackers working for the Chinese government, specifically the Ministry of State Security, which is the country's uh, civilian spy agency. It's all like everything else in China controlled by the Chinese Communist Party. So it looks like, according to cybersecurity experts and officials who are kind of familiar with the investigations, that China was behind all three of these. In cybersecurity terms, this is called attribution, trying to identify who the source of a hack is. And attribution is notoriously difficult. It's really hard oftentimes to figure out, you know, who conducted an anonymous attack on the internet because they can mask their presence in a lot of ways. Especially telling for like 100% certainty. Like you can say like, it seems like it's probably this person, but it could be this other person. Right. Uh, Now, in this case, according to the New York Times, private firms who had assessed the Marriott hack identified code that had been used in other recent hacks that had also been attributed to the Chinese government. So it's sort of a secondary way of doing attribution per the Times, right? You link this code to code that was used elsewhere. It's very hard to imagine anyone else using the exact same code in this case. Therefore, probably China. On top of that, There's news this week that the Trump administration is expected to announce soon massive sanctions on China 
related to things, including cybersecurity. And they plan to actually declassify intelligence reports that will reveal Chinese efforts to compromise American security dating back to at least 2014. And that's when that big OPM hack was. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo went on Fox and Friends on Wednesday morning, and he actually talked about this issue. They're conducting espionage and influence operations here in the United States. The latest uh, one I, was the Marriott. That, 500 million right. guests there have been have their security breached. They, they, they have committed uh, cyber attacks across the world. Uh, our effort from the Department of Homeland Security and the FBI and the State Department is to push back against these threats to America from China. Okay, so when he kind of says that's right, it seemed almost, and a lot of people interpret it this way, that Pompeo was like, as Secretary of State, officially confirming that China was behind that Marriott hack. Uh, When you actually listen to it, it's a little squishier because it's like, he could be like, yeah, that's right, that happened. So it's not totally clear if the U.S. government has like officially attributed this to China. But according to like the cybersecurity experts who investigated this and officials that the New York Times spoke to on backgrounds seem to confirm that all fingers are basically pointing at China for this. So, I mean, this raises a big question, right? Why would China do this? Because it's such an odd grab bag of things to steal, or at least it seems like it, right? Marriott information, personnel records from the federal government, and healthcare information. Like, that that seems almost random, but it's not. Right. So if you think about this from an intelligence collection standpoint, right, from a spying standpoint, if you put all of that information together, so you have— a list of all the business executives and American government officials in the U.S. who have security clearances, right? Meaning they have access to sensitive classified information. That's important. Those are people that you, as the Chinese government, would like to target in terms of, I'm going to go talk to them and see if I can convince them to spy for me, the Chinese government. But if you have that information, now add you have somebody's anthem insurance information. So you now know that, oh, they have a kid who has a super rare disease, or they're deeply in debt because of their mother's cancer surgery, or they have an embarrassing STD that they don't want to get out there, which is actually something that is commonly used in intelligence operations. You have that. Then you get the the piece de resistance, right? You get the Marriott hack. So now you have all that information that you can use to target them, and you know that, oh, look, they go to this conference in Cleveland every month. Or on Tuesday, they're going to be over there at this hotel. So you have basically the perfect profile for literally thousands of Americans with access to sensitive information to go target them and try to turn them against the U.S. government. Right. This is a counterintelligence nightmare because now the U.S. government needs to figure out how to, well, counter what you're talking about. Now, it's not—we don't have evidence that China— is doing this yet, using this information to turn people. If they're not, then they're doing something very wrong. Yeah, so they probably are, in which case the U.S. government has to go through and identify who the high-value targets are, figure out how to protect them or how to contact them, figure out if they've been turned by the Chinese government, and if they have, then what to do about it, right? That is a massive amount of time and energy that the CIA and the FBI and, and other parts of the U.S. government will have to expend and time that they could have spent doing other things. And opportunity cost-wise, that means that China has put U.S. intelligence in a really, truly uncomfortable place. Right. And to be clear, you know, when you get a security clearance, the point of the process, so a lot of people haven't been through this, I have several times, 
The point of the oh, process that sounds fun. <laughs> yeah, it's really enjoyable. The point of it, though, is not to find out if you're hiding anything. It's for you to tell them all the things that you could potentially be hiding so that the government already knows, so that you're not hiding anything, right? So that if China, for example, or you know Iran or Russia comes and says, hey, do this for us, work for us, give us this piece of information, or we'll tell everybody, or we'll tell your bosses this one thing— you could be like, whatever, I, I already disclosed that, it's fine. But that's where that health insurance information, that like travel information, that could turn up stuff that people didn't necessarily maybe disclose in the security clearances. So you had this kind of much fuller picture. Because you have the healthcare records and the government employment records, you can cross-reference them, figure out what the government does and doesn't know, uh, who might be particularly vulnerable. Uh, it's just, it's just a mess. I mean— from an intelligence perspective, this is a huge intelligence coup for China. Whoever orchestrated this is getting a huge raise or at least a solid high five because this is like a really big deal. And this is the kind of information, by the way, that all countries do, right? This isn't trying to paint China as like some evil country doing this evil thing, right? We do this too. That's basically the point of intelligence agencies is to go find people who will spy for you in other countries. So we do these sorts of things probably all the time as well. But you could also use it for darker purposes, right? The U.S. just, through cooperation with Canadian authorities, detained a top Chinese tech executive, essentially. From for, Huawei, right? Yeah, from Huawei, for the company's violation of Iran sanctions. China's really, really angry about this and could very well use these Marriott records to find an American they want to blackmail, abduct, harass, uh, in retaliation, direct retaliation, if that person comes in and out of China frequently. Like, it's it's scary. Right. And so not just this New York Times piece that kind of tied this all together, but it also reported that the Trump administration actually plans to apply a bunch of sanctions on China related to partially their trade practices and things like that, but also partially related to cybersecurity and this particular kind of intelligence operation that it did. And they also apparently plan to declassify a bunch of intelligence reports that show that these Chinese efforts went back to at least 2014, which is when that Office of Personnel Management security clearance hack happened. So, like, we're talking this big, long operation that the U.S. government is about to, we think, announce and say, hey, you know, I don't know if they'll, they'll talk about the Marriott thing, but basically say, hey, China, you are actively hacking us. You are actively spying us. We're going to sanction either companies or individuals related to the government or people, you know, the hackers themselves, people related to that ministry I talked about earlier. But it's going to be a huge, not just like, oh, there was this report, but the U.S. government standing up and going, hey, China, we see you and we're going to punish you. And that's a big escalation in the U.S.-China kind of tension right now. Yeah, and that, that's the key thing, right, is escalation. These are the two most powerful countries in the world right now, economically and, and politically. So for them to be squaring off like this over intelligence, over cybersecurity, it represents uh, a really a new era of superpower competition. And after the break, we're going to talk about an older superpower that's kind of on the wane, that is to say Britain, and the political crisis that's currently roiling its government as a result of Brexit. Real estate investing is known for a lot of things, mainly making a select group of people a lot of money. But being an online cutting-edge experience is usually not one of its hallmarks. Oh, well, that might no longer be the case. Fundrise is the future of real estate investing. The revolutionary model is transforming the industry thanks to software that cuts out costly middlemen and old market inefficiencies. 
Fundrise delivers the kind of investing power you usually only see at giant institutions, bringing real estate's unique potential for long-term growth and cash flow to individual investors. Getting started is really easy. It usually takes less than five minutes. Five minutes? Yeah. When you invest, you will be instantly diversified across dozens of real estate projects, each one carefully vetted and actively managed by Fundrise's team of real estate pros. Then you can use their intuitive investor dashboard and real-time reporting system to monitor the progress of each property within your portfolio. That's the future of real estate investing. So are you ready to get started? Visit fundrise.com slash worldly. Again, that's F-U-N-D-R-I-S-E dot com slash worldly to have your first three months of fees waived. Again, that's fundrise.com slash worldly. Now we're going to talk about a fight inside the British Conservative Party, which led to a vote on Wednesday that very well could have ousted Prime Minister Theresa May. Jen, what is this vote of no confidence, as it's called? Right. So it's essentially her own party calling a vote saying, we're not super confident in your ability to continue to lead uh, our that's party. That's what it says on the tin. Yeah, it's basically on the tin, very British. Mm. But yeah, so it's This isn't like the entire government saying, we don't like you, Theresa May. This is a fight within her own party. And basically, they said, look, we're going to call a vote, and we'll see if you have enough support within the party. So she didn't have to convince all of parliament, right? She just had to convince half her party uh, plus one. The reason that this vote was happening in the first place was because of a major internal divide in the party over the deal that May had inked with the European Union about Brexit, right? Many of them wanted the terms of the deal to be much harder to lead to a stricter separation between UK law and EU law. Her version of the deal has the UK pretty integrated with the EU for an indefinite period of time, and the hardcore Brexit people didn't like that, so they mounted a challenge to May's leadership. And we're not going to keep you in suspense any longer. She won the vote, but she won around 200 votes, from Tory members of parliament, that is to say conservative members of parliament, but she also lost over 100 votes. That's astounding. And she's in the Tory party, right? The conservative party. Yeah, yeah. Just to make that clear. Uh, I don't know. It's like a third of the Republican Senate delegation voting to oust Donald Trump from the presidency. Like, that's a crazy rebellion and rebuke to her own power. And it's not clear, according to some of the experts I've seen talking about it, how well she can function, let alone pass this controversial Brexit deal through parliament or needs to go. Right. Like, she won, but it's still not great, right? Like, yeah, it could have been worse. They could be in the middle of, like, an entire leadership shakeup and have no idea who's going to be the next prime minister on top of trying to figure out Brexit. So they don't have that. But they do have the prime minister's own party taking this massive step to go, look, we're not even sure that you're the right leader for us. That's not a ringing endorsement. No, that's that's the key point, Jen, right? Is this isn't so much Theresa May is great right. as it is them I saying, guess. yeah, them saying we can't get rid of our party leader and our prime minister right now in the middle of this, you know, the deadline for Brexit is looming. Right. It's, it's not too long from now when they'll get booted out of the EU if they don't have a deal with catastrophic consequences. Right. They can't just get rid of their party leader and nation leader in the middle of this. And that, that's the reason why she won. But it's definitely sending a clear message like, look, we'll let you stay, but you better handle this. You better make this Brexit thing happen. I mean, this whole thing is the Brexit vote in microcosm, right? It's they've made a decision Everybody thinks it's not a great decision, but nobody has any better plan. And so they're going to keep going along with this, like, mediocre at best, possibly catastrophic choice that they've made. I mean, it's the Brits. Keep calm and carry on, right? 
That's where we're going to leave it this week. Uh, I want to thank our producer, Bird Pinkerton, for killing it as usual. And I want to encourage you to rate, subscribe, and review Worldly on Apple, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and any other podcast platform you use. Thanks a lot. See you next week. Bye.